Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fresh take from the What Fresh Hell podcast. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're going to be talking to Meredith Masony about her new book, Ask Me What's for Dinner One More Time. A lot of you guys already know Meredith from That's Inappropriate, an online community that Meredith has built. It's three million plus mothers and strong-minded women who aren't afraid to own the fact that the struggle is real when it comes to parenting. Yes, indeed. Meredith is a mom of three and a wife of one. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) And we're excited to talk to her today. Welcome, Meredith. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. We're so happy to have you. We know Meredith a little bit from the world of people who make mom content. And we've been, I don't know, probably about a year and a half being like, we should have you on our podcast and here you finally are. It only took writing a book. It was over a year ago because it's September and that was May. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It feels like eons ago. We were eating and laughing and like touching each other. And it was a magical time, guys. If only you could have been there. We were definitely within six feet of one another. (laughs) Yes, yes. We were inappropriately close now. And we look back so much fun. That was inappropriate. (laughs) We just didn't know it. So since we saw you, I don't know, probably since you were probably working on the book when we saw you, but you have written this book. So tell us a little bit about That's Inappropriate and then tell us what made you decide to write this book. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said we all agree the struggle is real. There are no Pinterest perfect Instagram filtered moms kind of in our home here because we just we agree to share the mess that is our lives. And I feel that if we share the mess that is our lives, others will feel better about the mess that is their lives and so on and so forth. So kind of like that weird butterfly effect of, you know, oh, your house is a dumpster fire. Yeah, mine is too. Okay, cool. Let's be friends. (laughs) But ask me what's for dinner one more time. But it was just a way for me to kind of say, hey, let me share some stories with you. And I I wouldn't call this parenting advice. I would say advice-ish, advice light. Basically just stories about Things that have happened during our lives, whether it was my son's autism diagnosis or my two kids that I'm my older two that are in the throes of puberty right now, which is just so much fun. (laughs) Thoughts and prayers. (laughs) Yeah. Amy's been there with you and my oldest is 11 and I almost have to skip the teen stuff because I'm like, I'm not ready to know. I want to live in my little cocoon of little children's safety. Yeah, it's nice while it lasts. But then it really does kind of hit you over the head like one of those cartoon 
what is it where that Tom and Jerry and they chase each other around with a mallet over the head, you know? Yes, that's puberty. That is what puberty does to parents. Just this morning, so my daughter is almost 13, and just this morning I found, as I'm like going through, I'm in a mad like reorganization craze, like if I haven't used this for six months, time to throw it out because it's too crowded in our apartment right now for five people to be working at home. Right. And I find this like crumpled up piece of paper that my almost 13-year-old made, you know, in her like painstaking handwriting, probably she was about three, like from her name to me covered in X's and O's, just a page of X's and O's that she would have probably spent half an hour making me this just to show how much she loved me on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And times have changed. Yes. You probably want to get a tattoo of that, Amy. I would just take that paper to the tattooist. I'm glad I saved it. Let's put it that way. And just be like, I need to remember these days because it's not happening. This was once mine. And you do need like each of my kids has one box in their closet. It's like an old diaper box. And in that diaper box, it's all the, you know, the crap that they make you, whether it's the handprint stuff or the X's and O's, like you said. And, and I do, you know, I'm known for being very unsentimental, but I do keep those, you know, I keep one diaper box of those things. Or you can go in when your daughter is being really mean to you when she's 16, you can go in and look at those and have a good Hallmark cry, you know, like, you know, what it was like when they were nice to you. I talk in the book about the first time I was love shunned by my oldest, who's in high school now. When was it? Tell us how it happened. It was just one of those days where, you know, I was doing the drop off line at school back in the good old days when we did that. And he hopped out and I had rolled the window down and I was like, bye, bud, have a great day, bud. Nothing. He didn't turn around. He didn't look at me. There was just like this beeline for the door. And I was like, wait a minute. So we had to make a deal that prior to the exit for school, the goodbye, have a great day, I love yous must occur in the car. And nobody leaves without saying them, you know. In the car. Like, that's the rule. Right. But their friends do not have to be involved in this exchange. No. They don't have to hear it. That seems right to me. We often say, like, you have to find the solution that is halfway between your needs and your kids' needs. And that seems to me a perfect example of that. Like, my need is for you to say, I love you. Your need is for no one to know that we are related to each other. And so in the safe seal of our car, we will exchange these words. And then I will put my head down and drive away and pretend I don't know you. That seems completely fair to me on for everybody's part yeah seems like a darn good solution yeah i forget that's my assignment sometimes i like i will like sort of make jokes my high schooler is talking to his friends or something and i'll kind of be like i know because it's kind of like and they forgot you were there you're like the blip from doonesbury which is an old deluxe alert but like didn't realize you were standing there it's very weird right like what mom why would this have to involve you please it is a little weird and it got even weirder for for my oldest because some of his friends at school followed the page. And so it became very weird for him because I would be on a live and then up would pop one of his, you know, like 13, 14 year old friends in a live feed. And like, he was just so mortified because I was like, isn't this your friend from PE class? You know, and he's like, oh my God, you know, and So and and then I was like, I need to call his mother because there's no reason for him to be watching this. Like, what is he (laughs) watching this even for? You need like a filter, like block anyone who knows your kids off the feed. Right. You know, and then they get embarrassed because then, you know, I posted something about my oldest when he was younger, like some picture of him with his blanket or something. And then they took that 
and cropped it and printed it and took it to school. And it's just like, now they're all friends. So this was not to be bullied. This was, you know, they were clearly joking around with each other and there was no malice in it, but it's still middle school and middle school sucks. All of my kids have the option to say, I don't want to be involved or I'm not doing this video with you or please don't write that. Right. Veto power. It is interesting because as moms, we want to share our experiences in order to have other moms feel seen. But there's this other element, right, that our kids may not want other moms to see some of their struggles. And so it's kind of that can be a bit of a dilemma. I think the what makes that's inappropriate so special and such. It's obviously a group and a site that people have responded to so strongly because you have this kind of very authentic way of talking about motherhood. So I'd love you to talk a little bit about how you started it and what were some of the original topics that you were talking about that people really responded to? Well, and I do talk about this in the book, you know, we talk about the uh, origin story, so to speak, and that was that I got sick. And so in 2014, I found out that I had an esophageal tumor and, you know, I'll never forget being in the doctor's office after it took I don't know, somewhere between six months and a year of me ignoring symptoms and then being treated and finally getting scoped because I knew there was something wrong. You don't just lose 10 pounds and have your hair fall out unless there's a real problem. And you do mention this in the book. Yeah. If doctors don't take you seriously, you have to advocate for yourself. And I was like, that is a good takeaway for all women. Right. Which speaking of, I'm getting a mammogram today. Like you have to take care of yourself because we're always the ones that are taking care of everybody else. And so I did put my health on the back burner because we were busy and working, you know, I'm working full time. I had three small children. And you were a teacher at the time, right? Yep. I was a teacher at the time. And I just figured, you know, how bad could heartburn be? Right. Like I'm complaining about heartburn. It can't be that bad. But I can also tell you never in my life did I not try to lose 10 pounds and lose 10 pounds that quickly. (laughs) So I knew there were some other problems, but I finally got in. And when the doctor who ignored my symptoms told me that I had this tumor and I had to see an oncologist, I just assumed death was imminent, you know, and that I had to really start taking stock in everything. The way you write about this in the book, it's very visceral. You feel that experience of like, oh, this might be it. Yes. And that was exactly what I was trying to prepare myself for mentally with three small kids and a husband who really just worked all of the time. So I was like, when I die and he has to do all the that I do on top of the stuff that he does, I was like, that's just not possible. I love that you were also thinking about like who he should date afterwards. I don't think I would be that person. I'd be like, build a shrine to me in the corner and visit it every day. Yeah, see, if you're dead, like it doesn't matter to you anymore. (laughs) I guess you don't care, right? It was one of those things where I really started thinking about anything I could think of other than the fact that I might be dead very soon. So I spent time thinking about a whole bunch of nonsense, but it also made me realize that there were lots of things in my life that I was happy about and that I knew I had done right. And then there were plenty of things that I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't done any of the things that I said I was going to do when it came to these, when you sit back and you think about what you wanted to be when you were eight years old. 
And I was like, I didn't do any of the things that I wanted to do when I was eight years old. I didn't marry anybody from New Kids on the Block. (laughs) That is a shame. You really missed an opportunity there. I'm sorry for you. I did. I clearly, clearly I did. I hate to say it, but NKOTB is an official Old Deluxe Alert, guys. Sorry. It's a true story. I have an NKOTB meet and greet story. Should I quickly tell you now? It's a quick break in, but yes, of course you should. It's important. I have gotten the chance to work with Donnie Wahlberg on, I was on Blue Blood, so I did a guest thing with him, and he is an amazing guy, really like full of energy. But the funniest part was the woman, like I was playing somebody whose husband had been messing around in her and now our daughter's missing. So I was sort of like the glum, unhappy first wife. And then there was this like beautiful young second wife. And anyway, as we're standing around between takes, she says to Donnie Wahlberg, I used to sleep on a pillowcase with your face on it. And he, <laughs> and he just was like, yep, like not the first time he heard that day. It felt like he was just like, yep. And it just was like part of his life. So he did live that life and now he's living another life. It's so weird. Uh, perfect new kids on the block aside. And now we need to get back to Meredith's near death experience. Please focus people. OK, back to yes. <laughs> I, mine was Joey McIntyre. Just so we know, so we're clear. I only liked NSYNC, guys. I don't. I wasn't even into New Kids. I'm sorry. Okay, I never got on the NSYNC train. But you know, long story short, I did find out that I did in fact have an esophageal tumor. I was basically told by my surgeon that I needed to get my quote unquote affairs in order, which. You know, a 34-year-old with three kids who's a PE teacher, it's not like I had estate planning to do, right? Like, it was more about... (laughs) You were like, where should my vast fortunes, what foundations? No, my Fabergé eggs will be left to... It's like, no, this was more about getting laundry done and, like, months worth of, like, freezer meals completed. That's so depressing to think you might be dying and making freezer meals. That's dark. Right. Cream of chicken for the next eight months, everybody. That's a mom, though, right? I might be dying, so I have a lot of stuff to do for other people before I go. Right. Well, that was my concern. was kind of like, okay, if I'm going to be dead, I'm not going to be sad that I'm dead. I'm just dead. But these kids still need to eat, and this needs to get done, and blah, blah, blah. And so I basically said, okay, I kind of made my peace. Right. Like I had this moment where I felt like if this is it, I know I married the right guy. I have these three beautiful kids. But like if this is it, then, okay, you know, this is it. And when I woke up from the surgery and my husband looked at me and he was like, it wasn't cancer. They got the whole tumor. They, you know. And it's not like it was an easy road because there were several reconstructive surgeries after that and different things because it's not easy to have most of your esophagus removed and then reconstructed to attach to your stomach so you can eat again. Yeah, that doesn't sound easy. But it was by far the best of the worst, right? Like this was great news. And so I literally after that getting sent home from the hospital and like recovering for about a a month, I looked at my husband and I was like, I think I'm supposed to do something with my life now. I was given this second chance. And he's like, yeah, okay, you know, write a blog. That sounds great. So I decided to start the blog. And then in 2016, I decided that I was going to switch over to video. And because I just felt like there was this other thing I was supposed to be doing, this other way to connect with these moms. But I was talking about all of the stuff that we kind of sort of suffer in silence with in motherhood, whether it's, 
you know, just the trenches of toddlerdom and the exhaustion of having a child who has special needs and the exhaustion of being married to somebody who doesn't think they should participate in the household chores. Like I talked about all of it because I felt like I can't be the only one. There's no way I'm the only one. And was there something like, were you a person, did you have an awareness before this of like, I'm a person who, when I talk about being a mom, it makes people laugh. I'm a person who has this take on it that people seem to be interested in. Or was this just sort of like, I have something to say, I'm going for it. I felt like I needed to, these people needed to see my face. They needed to kind of like... I don't know. There was just something that had to happen. There was like a barrier there. And I felt like if I took this barrier down, we'd be able to relate better. Like they needed to see my face when I bitched about my kids or about my husband or whatever. Like they because then I felt like they could say, oh, yes, like that. Exactly. That's it. So. And one of my goals as a child was to be a comedian. I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. And so I said, what if I start making sketch comedy videos and, you know, really talked about the things that I was writing about, but did it on video. And so, well, the first really big video was what moms really want for Mother's Day. Oh, yes. Right. Which over the course of a weekend had 10 million views. And that was me basically just saying, I want to be left the hell alone on Mother's Day. I don't want to see my kids. I don't want to talk to my kids. If I get one day off, I want to binge Netflix and drink champagne, like leave me alone. And you either loved it or you hated it. I got death threats after that video. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's the downside of video. Amy and I are doing some video stuff for the first time. And you're like, on the one hand, people like it. On the other hand, people have a lot of opinions about the size of my forehead that I really did not need to hear. (laughs) Oh, yes. Like my the running joke or statement on my page is how my eyebrows are so hideous. People can't look at my face because of my eyebrows. And like, why are your eyebrows so important to another human being that they feel like they need to type a comment about it? What is going on out there, people? Not even a comment. I get emails of people asking me to allow them to fix them for me. It's (laughs) like you can't fix this. But I do want to underscore for our audience something that I notice about your story, which is I cannot tell you how many people we have interviewed, interacted with, dealt with in this space, being moms who have had a seminal experience that has changed their life for the better. And this is a point we make all the time on the podcast, guys, never judge a crossroads and like listen to those voices that tell you it might be time for me to take a leap and try something new because of all of the many things I liked about Meredith's book, this aspect of it was really meaningful to me. Like a bad thing happens and it leads to a great new chapter. And I think sometimes we get stuck as moms in the bad thing and kind of we can stroke it a little bit like my precious, my precious, this bad thing happened. Or even what if the bad thing? We go a step back from that. Right. What if the bad thing happens? Maybe the bad thing will happen and set you on a whole new course. And we're going to talk more about specifics from the book right after this break. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. 
Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. We, Amy and I, our dynamic on the podcast is kind of Amy's uptight and I'm a hot mess. That tends to be like our basic personas. And what struck me about the book is that you are a midway point between me and Amy. Like I was thinking this is my person. Meredith is a hot mess mom. We're in the same camp. And yet you have strong opinions about how towels should be folded. (laughs) (laughs) I do. How is that possible? It was an interesting attitude on like, oh, you can be both of these things. Well, I think so. I used to be such a hardcore type. And then I also had this really great experience of this tumor which I do call a gift because it was a gift. Obviously not at the time when I thought that I was gonna die or eat from a bag for the rest of my life with a tube, but I was blessed that it was a gift because it gave me this great perspective that it doesn't have to happen my way all of the time in order for life to continue on. And I have to figure out what's the most important. Like I need to pick my battles. I have to pick my battles. And so I've kind of fallen somewhere. And I think that also happens to us as our kids get older and we've parented longer. There are certain things that we can just kind of like let go and kind of, you know, give into a little bit. And then some things that are just sticking points. We might need some examples of those for one of our hosts. I used to have to get all of the dishes done before bed. Like there couldn't be a dish in the sink. Like 
obviously a tornado or a robber is going to come in in the middle of the night, see these dishes, my house will be destroyed. The robber will then tell the other robbers about what a pig I am. <laughs> like, but that's not the case. And if they do come in and, you know, maybe they'll do the dishes for me. I don't know. I wouldn't bank on that with robbers. No, but I did finally realize like the house is still going to be standing in the morning if I don't do the dishes. Yes. Like I can just go to bed because they're going to be there tomorrow. And yes, I'm going to have to do them tomorrow. But now some nights I can let that go. And other nights it's like, no, I need this done to feel better. And we also talk about if it gives you a warm sense of comfort to have a clean kitchen, there's nothing wrong with that. This is something I had to personally let go of. And I feel like Amy has taught me this on the podcast. I always thought that people kept their homes clean to annoy me and make me look bad. I have now come to realize that some people keep their homes clean because it gives them a cozy sense of order. Also, okay. Right. I just don't happen to be that person. Right. And that's the thing is that's why sometimes it's like, no, this has to happen because otherwise I'm not going to be able to focus on anything else. And other times I can be like, that's eh, okay. Like we got a million other things going on right now. And I'm just, I'm not going to focus on that. And the running joke, like there's always a pile of laundry on my couch, but that's like one of the constant things that I feel like as long as I'm sort of staying on top of this, everything else will kind of be okay. And that's probably says a lot about me. A therapist would have a lot to say about that, but it's just kind of the one thing that I'm like, uh, you know, I'll just, it'll all work out. It'll be fine. I think it can be really good and calming for people to have one zone of control. And if your zone of control is laundry, Great. Yeah. My zone of control is making nice birthday cakes for my kids. Like, I feel like they'll remember that. So I'm going to lean into that. So yep. it's fine to have one zone of control. So the thing about your book that surprised me, Meredith, was there was another middle place, which is it gets very funny and then it will surprise you with its stealth depth. The essay that I particularly liked was called I'm the Mom. And you in each paragraph is like, I'm the mom. I have to be happy. I can't be afraid. I'm the mom. I have to get it all done. And all these things we tell ourselves that aren't true or are they? I kind of feel like when you were talking about, you know, dying young and all the things you had to get done for your kids first. I mean, somebody could try to say that you don't have to think of it that way, but you kind of did. Right. And I think everybody deals with that crossroads situation a little differently. Right. And I also think that you don't necessarily have to have that situation in order to make those big, you know, Oprah aha moments. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of times you choose not to unless you're pushed into it. Like I was pushed into seeing my mortality because it was a very real possibility that I would, my doctor said, you could be dead by Thanksgiving. And this was August. So it was kind of like, there's a real possibility that, you know, you could be dead. So I was forced to look at that and blessed to have to look at that. But at the same time, you definitely struggle or, you know, I did. And I talk a lot about mom guilt and what mom guilt can do to us because we do feel like we have to do all of the things all of the time. And when we can't get them done because nobody can get all of the things done all of the time, then we feel that failure, Ugh, you know, that I've let everybody down again. We task ourselves with the impossible. And then when we can't get it done, it's that self-fulfilling thing of like, see, see, look what you did. So I had to start breaking that down and talking about those things with the community because I knew how unhealthy it was for me. And it also detracts from the fact that, you know, we aren't superheroes. We're human beings. 
So we have to be honest about what we can and can't get done. Nobody has it all. No matter what person you pick on the internet that you look and you say, look at everything that they have, you have no clue what's going on. I feel like we all got this memo, but getting it into your DNA and your cells is a different feeling than like, well, nobody really has it together. And I think that that is what people respond to so strongly in you. It's like, oh, this is a real person who is through video expressing to me a thing, a mirror of myself. My friend left me this note. She came to visit me a while back. And I was struggling during this pandemic pretty hard. My youngest is on the spectrum and he has had a really hard time during this pandemic with school. He's the one who we were talking about before we started that he uh, basically did none of his work these last two weeks. And I finally realized what, you know, I found the stack of papers that hadn't been done and he's been struggling. And with all of that, I kind of fell into a little bit of a hole, you know, and I think most people did at some point during the pandemic. And my friend came and she visited me. And before she left, she came into my office and wrote this note and hid it in my stack of papers. That is all my desk is. If you saw my desk, I wouldn't be upset if you judged me. It would be fair. It would be fair. She left this note. It said, faith over fear, my sweet Meredith. God has made you for such a time as this. And because I kept saying, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I don't understand what's going on. Everybody is, you know, this mess of, of life right now. And I don't feel like I'm contributing. I feel like this is just such a disaster. And, you know, she, this friend of mine, her name is Jeva. She's so wonderful. She's like, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. You're showing all of these women that it is perfectly acceptable to be exactly who they are and know that we can't accomplish all things, but that doesn't negate all of the wonderful things that we do for our kids, for our spouses, for each other. And I don't think I ever cried as much as when I read this note and it hit me and, you know, I said, okay, I can keep doing this. I can keep, you know, I'm tired, but I can keep going. I can keep going. Because we moved in the middle of this pandemic. We did a bunch of stupid stuff. <laughs> the pandemic's already a marathon. You don't need a sprained ankle. You know, like you're already, just to get through it, things need to go perfectly. Exactly. So, you know, but she made this wonderful point that, you know, we need to have faith. If you can look at your mom friends out there, at your community, and just let them know, like, I have the same mom heart that you have. Mm, that's such a good way to say it. I know that you are doing your best. I understand you feel like that these things that come through are failures, but you've got to take the time to find the wins inside of all of this and give yourself a damn break. Because I just feel like we are tasked with way too many things as moms and nobody is supposed to be able to do or get all of these things done. Like, give yourself a break for a second, for a hot damn minute. Just give yourself a break. You're literally, and now I feel like we're cooking every meal. Yeah. So many snacks. Everybody's home all the time. Yeah, guys, it's gotten a lot harder. And it was hard. We had a podcast about how hard this was three years ago. It's gotten a lot harder. Yeah. And I also think the part of that is trying to write books, create content is like this central tenet that goes across like many, many religious traditions is 
we wear masks. There are things that get in the way of us getting along. There are reasons we think, oh, that mom thinks she's better than me. That mom thinks she's so fancy. Look at her Pinterest page. That mom has a bigger house than I do. And that there is this central tenant in many religions that's like namaste, basically, right? The light in me sees the light in you. And I think that what you do really well is like the mom in me sees the mom in you. Whether we're different, whether we have all these different, you know, you may think I'm more successful than you or I have things going on because I have this very successful, you know, enterprise. Or you may think the lady next to you in the supermarket has a nicer outfit. But like, can we boil back to that central tenant that like the mom in me recognizes the mom in you? And that is something that this book, I think, does really well. And before we wrap, I want to do a quick speed round because there's so much stuff in this book that we didn't get to get to. So I'm going to give you a quick topic speed round. And Amy will say whether or not we agree with you. Oh, okay. Okay? Hamsters. What am I supposed to say? That I hate them? You hate hamsters. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yes or no? Hamsters have no role in our lives, people. Do not get a hamster. No hamsters. Amy, you're also anti-hamster, right? Yeah. I feel like people fall for the hamster trip. Thinking it'll be easier than a dog and it's smellier than a dog. Exactly. I feel like people fall for the hamster trick, which is like, oh, it's cute. It's small. It lives in a cage. It doesn't take a lot of work. Yeah, no. It poops inside. Yeah. I really appreciate your anti-hamster stance. And I want that shouted to the world. No hamsters, people. No, my daughter, it's been years. She's been trying to get one. No. The role of the dishwasher. Sanitation purposes only. Thank you. Thank you very much. You should not put dirty dishes in the dishwasher. I know, Amy, I know you agree with this. No, load it up with the filth and then start it. Don't leave it overnight to sit full of dirty dishes. Don't like some people in my house do. Dishes go in the dishwasher clean and are sanitized in the process. Thank you, Meredith. You are correct. Class mom. Class mom is great because then I don't have to be one. Right. But don't sign up for class mom. No, no. Well, nobody would want me to be class mom. I'm the napkin lady because that's all I have to offer. But I think class moms are great and I'm glad they exist so I don't have to be one. Yes, I guess that's Amy. You must be a class mom, right? I have been a class mom a dozen times in each year. I say I'm not going to do it. And then I get usually suckered back into like, okay, I'll do it again. But you're probably so great at it. It would be such a shame if you didn't do it. See that you're the people who are detail oriented. That's what I appreciate about this point, because it's right. There's nothing wrong with being the class mom, but we salute the class moms for the class moms we cannot be. Right. That's just not in my wheelhouse. Yeah. The class mom in me sees the non-class mom in you. Yes. The person who cannot be class mom. I was class mom once and like the school play almost didn't happen because I was so bad at my job. Don't ask me to be class mom. Yeah. Being the keeper of all the things. I like this point a lot. And it's something that we talk about kind of as like invisible workload. Yeah, I'm exhausted by it. And I don't understand why it's my job to know where everybody's stuff is. Like you're especially now that my kids are older, you know, it's not like I have toddlers anymore. Like the fact that my 10 year old came in the other day and he was like, you need to find my shoes. And I'm like, you need to shut your damn mouth talking to me like that find your own shoes kid like i'm not doing it it's not my job i'm tired of remembering where everybody's crap is 
Yes, this is something. I mean, this is definitely a topic that comes up again and again and again. But we continue to struggle with how to get out of this role. Uh, my kids are still kind of littler, but even with spouses, it's like, wait, why are we the ones who know camp forms are due two months in advance? It's a tricky one. It's the problem is if nobody in your house ever puts anything away and you're the one who puts things away because you can't take it anymore, then you are the one who knows where the cord for the laptop went unfortunately. Well, and so when we did this, because we're doing the distance learning, my husband said, it's not going to be that big a deal. I will be in charge of everything. Now we're three weeks in and my son hasn't done any work. (laughs) And I looked at him and I said, you realize that this is not just his fault. Like we failed at this because we should have been checking. Like we're supposed to be checking on him every day. We let it get this bad because we've been so busy. Like the first week of school was my book launch week. So I was like, we can't just blame the 10 year old because he's 10 and he's like, it's not that bad. I'm like, no, no, it's clearly I have eight emails from the teacher. It's that bad. Like we have to pay attention. And you know, you're busy. You're working from home. Everybody's doing a million different things. And this kid is just like, I'm gonna ride this wave and watch YouTube forever. You know, like, And, you know, obviously, that's what I'm saying. It's exhausting being the keeper of all things. It is. That point resonated with me completely. And we'll finish on, I like your point about, like, what makes a good mom friend and how you manage your mom friend relationships. You need to find somebody that not only compliments you, but has other strengths, you know? And so, like, I have a friend who is definitely the class mom. And then I have other friends who are more like me that, you know, forget what day it is and then forget, like I looked at my calendar this morning and I'm like, oh my God, I have a mammogram today. Who scheduled that? It's like, (laughs) oh, I scheduled that. Okay. (laughs) That was myself as it turns out. That was me. I remember doing it now. But you have to have all different types of friends. But at the end of the day, you just have to make sure that you're all being honest with each other, no matter what. Right. Like, you know, I think it's great that you make homemade cards and homemade cakes for your kids. It's not my strength, but I think it's super great that you do that. And that's how you show love. God, I have to have something good that I show love for. There has to be something good. (laughs) There must be something. There's got to be some way you show love. Come on. Dig deep. My husband's like, you do all the laundry. He just muttered that. Yeah. Laundry might be your love language. That's okay. I do think that my love language is more of like acts of service where it's just like making sure that what needs to get done for the kids gets done. Like I played tennis with my kid the other day because he was, you know, his friend couldn't meet up at the court to play with him. And so I went out there and played with him. I don't want to play tennis. You know what I mean? But it's like, I'll go out and I'll play tennis or I'll walk beside you while you ride your bike or I'll whatever, you know, I'll be there. But, you know, I'm just I'm not going to make you a homemade card. You know what I mean? That's not my thing. Yeah. And I think in general, the book captures really well this. We've touched on maybe a third of the things in this book. We want you guys to get it, find it, explore it, laugh learn a couple things. And Meredith, tell us where our audience can find you, although they probably can find you pretty easily, and where they can get the book. Well, you can get the book on Amazon. It is Kindle Audible, and it's on paperback. And then you can also find me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram. I'm now on the TikTok against my will. (laughs) But it's all, that's an, Meredith dash, that's inappropriate. So you can find me and, you know, laugh alongside, (laughs) cry. 
I commiserate. You can tell me how bad my eyebrows are. You know, whatever you want to do. Please join the chorus. Meredith needs to do something about those eyebrows, guys. And how is she going to know unless 800 people email her? I know. I know. I have to apparently microblade, except I have no clue what that is. At least eyebrows are fixable. My forehead size is I'm pretty committed to it. I don't think that can be changed. No, I really don't think there's anything to be fixed. If you looked at all of my female relatives, you'd know that the eyebrow gene, it's we got a bad one. We all have terrible eyebrows. (laughs) Well, possibly we'll just have to go with self-acceptance instead. Yes, there you go. And I do tell people, once you've read it, please go and leave me a review. Even if it's one star, I do want to know what you think. Because that's, you know, I wrote this for a very specific reason. And I love reading the reviews. That has to be probably one of my favorite things. We loved this book. Check it out. Go find it. Find Meredith if you're not already following her. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Meredith. Thank you guys so much. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.